Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Bonus time to Ben Drowski show as I speak. It's Friday, March 25th, 2022. Here's a headline in my beloved bright one, the Chicago Sun-Times. Home delivered every day. I support you, Sun-Times. Okay. Council choice, a historic one. United Airlines exec Nicole Lee, selected by Lori Lightfoot to replace convicted 11th Ward Alderman Patrick Daly-Thompson, will be city's first female Asian-American alderperson. So that's the news of the day. That's what's going on in the city of Chicago as I, be, oops, as I begin to have this conversation. We're not even going to talk about that. And that's not even on our agenda. I'm just telling you what's in the news of the day. Uh, there's a new uh, alderwoman in the 11th Ward, and she's got connections to the dailies. Whoa, what a big surprise that is. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I'll hold back the cynicism. All right, I'm going to ask my distinguished guests to introduce themselves, uh, as I do with uh, this segment all the time. And I'm going to have two distinguished guests. Yes, I'm bringing back this duo. Uh, this is like their 10th time on this show. Uh, so I'm going to start with distinguished guests whose first initial is J. Introduce yourself. All right. Thank you. You just blew some people's minds because they're like, Jay, Juanita, isn't that with a W? Anyway, uh, Juanita Irizarry. I am the executive director of Friends of the Parks, though the things I say here today are my own rather than the opinion of the organization. Very good. If you hadn't said that, I would. Uh, I may say it again anyway, because I always protect Juanita. She speaks her mind when she comes on my show. So leave her alone, people. All right. Uh, and uh, distinguished guests whose first initial is L. Introduce yourself. Hi, Ben, Juanita. Great to be here. Lori Glenn, President, CEO of Think Inc., a strategic public affairs and political consulting firm on social justice issues. So glad to be here with both of you. All right. Social justice issues. Uh I have a lot of social justice issues. I think all I issues are social justice do. issues. But <laughs> I'm going to start with a national one before I come to the casino. So casino will be coming, ladies and gentlemen, because I know everybody on our show has a lot to say about it. Uh, are we I gotta, playing blackjack together? Is that what we're going to do? <laughs> yes, we're going to play blackjack sure. together, uh, a game of virtual blackjack. All right. Uh, Judge 
Kataji Brown Jackson had her hearings this week. We've talked a lot about the show. Uh, I've had so much to say on it, but I'm going to sit back and let my distinguished guests weigh in. Uh, there was so much that I found utterly offensive about what went down this weekend and so dispiriting about where the Republican Party is right now. This is me speaking, not my distinguished guests. Uh, but I would love to hear, uh, Juanita and Lori, what you have to say on this. So we'll start with you, uh, Lori. Just sort of like for you, what are the headlines uh, that just pop into your mind? Like the Lori headlines uh, having uh, absorbed a week, or it seems like a week, but it's actually like two days of hearings uh, in the Senate. Go ahead. Um hate rules the Republican Party. They're incredibly racist. It's just extraordinary. I was listening yesterday afternoon for as long as I could till I just couldn't because it's so appalling that if this woman was white and um, oh, had red hair and uh, <laughs> wasn't that that former Supreme Court is justice um, she would have been lauded. This is such an extraordinary woman who is so thoughtful. And to attempt to tie this woman to child pornography uh, over and over and over again. And she was so sublime and just really took them all in stride. And that as they tried again and again to attempt to infer that she was being soft on child pornographers. It was just appalling. So the Republican Party, as we know, has gone as low as it can go. But no, wait, perhaps it will find a way to bring itself even lower to its knees. It's just absolutely, it was a despicable display of, uh, as Charles Blow said in his New York Times column this week, you know, they, they were just trying to get sound bites for their Twitter feeds to then fill it in and cut up whatever her remarks were to make her sound like she was in support of child pornography. And it was shameful. So shame, shame, shame on those Republicans who were trying, you know, they're defiling our democracy. Yeah, um, I had to look away pretty quickly. I just, I have enough bologna sausage in my life that I didn't really feel a need to watch that all day. But, um, you know, what the, 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 the meme or whatever that's going through my Facebook feed is all about, you know, when supremely intelligent, qualified black woman has to sit quietly and deal with underqualified white men saying stupid stuff. You know, I mean, that is it. Um, you know, I, I love her one piece. It's, uh, she's more qualified. She's had more hours on the bench or in trial law than all of the other justices combined. So there is no, you know, no way that she's not qualified yet. Yes. It, this despicable show, which is really all about people's reelection campaigns. And again, the hate in the Republican party is pathetic. Uh, well, one, uh, issue that the Republicans tried to use uh, against her was the issue of trans and people. And uh, so they were harping on Leah Thomas, who is the uh, swimmer from the University of Pennsylvania, who won the Ivy League championship uh, swimming in the women's division. Uh, and they were pounding this issue because clearly their focus groups have shown them that this is a winning issue for them uh, in America in the year 2022. Otherwise, they wouldn't be pounding on it. Uh, and uh, 
and there was this one moment, and uh, Lori and I had a brief conversation about this, where Marsha Blackburn, uh, the uh, senator from Tennessee, uh, trying to get uh, uh, Brown Jackson in a gotcha moment, asked her to find woman. Uh, and uh, and Brown Jackson was like looking at her like, I may have been born at night, but I wasn't born last night. I'm not going down that road. And uh, she says, well, I, this is not a legal issue, you know, that uh, so I don't know why I'm going to uh, indulge you. And uh, and then uh, Marsha Blackburn is like, oh, what a statement about our times. Like she's really concerned about it, that you can't. That's too controversial. A question to answer. But I'm sitting back and thinking, Lori Glenn, how do I define woman? You know what I mean? Like, how do you define woman uh, just any old which way, but also in the context of a nomination hearing? Uh, Lori, what's your thoughts? Well, my real thought is that it's not about, and that question isn't really about how to define a woman, but it's what does it mean to be human today? And how do we accept ourselves today? And so for this generation, as I've seen, because as you've noted, I'm at the tail end of the baby boomers. And um, for the baby boomers, our being different was growing one's hair long. And I remember my brother, Michael, who before he became more conservative, shall we say, and I love you, my brother, but he is. And uh, he had, he was the first one to have long hair and there were knockdown drag out fights. I mean, there are many a movie about these long haired hippies uh, from Easy Rider to, you know, on and on and on. And, and people lost their minds over boys and men growing their hair long. So in this generation, it's about one's sexuality. And it's that we are now on a continuum. And so people aren't really talking about if they're male or female or straight or gay or even trans or whatever. It's, it's, it's the, the openness about accepting what for many people has been privately so painful is understanding the sexuality they have, which doesn't fit into a box. It doesn't fit into a preconceived notion. And so as a woman who has had to deal with um, being told all my life that I couldn't do what I could do because I was this or I was that or I wasn't smart enough or I couldn't be a political strategist or any of these things. And I think about all the people on a much deeper level um, that they are not being accepted because they may love someone who is their same sexuality, or they may not feel, they may feel a prisoner in their own body. And instead of having empathy, which is a huge word that seems to be missing today, and understanding, then we're just judging about whether or not someone is a woman or a man or a troglodyte or whatever. And I didn't mean that trans people were troglodytes. That's not what I meant. What I meant is it's acceptance. And I think that we are going through a massive transformation today and it's generational. So it's old and it tends to be white people who are of certain uh, persuasions and proclivities 
who can't seem to accept that people are just really different and that the world is simply changing. Our sexuality is changing. Our boundaries are changing. Our language is changing. The way we communicate is changing. The methodology of communications is changing. So that's what I want to say to that. So I think that it's not about the question is not the right question. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. I don't think it is the right question. And, and for me, you know, I often refer to the fact that I come up from a pretty conservative evangelical space in my background. And what I say to my friends in that space is I'm pretty sure the Bible says to love your friends and love your enemies. So I don't really know what there is except to love people. So I don't really feel a need to spend a lot of time judging. And I know for sure I don't understand all the time, you know, but how do I just... Whatever you identify as, whoever you say you are, you're human, and I'm going to try to understand what it means to love you, and that's about it. Well, I can tell you this right now, that uh, this is a provocative issue for voters today in America. I'm going to make that very obvious point. And clearly, I'll repeat this, Gloria Juanita, uh, they wouldn't have been pushing it, the Republicans, if their focus groups and their polls didn't show that this could win them swing votes. And this, this is, they view this as an issue that can help them take back the House, take back the Senate, and win some governor's seats. And the, I'm watching the Democrats struggle, and they don't know how to confront this issue. It's like one— Because they've got to actually own it. And so young voters have to be—so there is a tremendous shift going on in America— it is a shift from America is about not to be majority white. America is about to get all these older people are aging out. There is a new generation. And the Democratic Party has to start, I mean, engaging with them and listening to what, because it is this younger generation that's saying, I'm trans. It's this younger generation who's saying, I'm uh, on a spectrum. And so I think that this is really, if the Democratic Party wants to address this issue, have the young people who actually they're attempting to protect be the voices that speak out and they need to develop their leadership because they need to develop a bench. As we're seeing across the country, where are the new leaders? Where are the new leaders of the Democratic Party? Regardless even of how you may feel, if you support this current mayor or you don't support this current mayor, where are the leaders who are going to come up and want to run a major city? I, I, I'm not hearing a lot of people uh, clamoring for leadership today. And I think some of it is because older people are not engaging and lifting up their leadership and their voice. Well, I think them. You know, the party keeps thinking that they need to be as close to the center as they can be, right? And they gotta go way in the other direction because that's where people are. That's where the next generation is. And this thing of let's see how close to the center we can be and still call ourselves Democrats is not gonna get them very much further. Right. And the last mile is always the hardest. And that's where we are right now because this next generation is simply not as racist. They simply actually don't care what your sexuality is. They are different, and that is a good thing. But right now, the right wing and the extreme right and white people who are scared, of course, they're the extremists in America. We saw that last January 6th. 
They were the extremists. They were the terrorists who tried to break our democracy. Quite It's literally. really horrifying. Yeah, well, uh, I, I've, I've lived through a few of these shifts, uh, and I could tell you right now, I remember Clinton's struggling with don't ask, don't tell. And now, okay, you remember that one, Lori? I do. Clinton trying to finesse his way, old slick Willie trying to finesse his way out of so much. That's right. And, and that didn't really work too well. Uh, and I'm with you. I, uh, I, I, uh, this has never been a particular hang up of mine. So I've struggled to see, I don't understand why it's such a big deal to people, but again, we all have our hangups. Uh, this is not just not been one of mine. So I didn't, I didn't have a hang up over gays in the military. You know what I mean? All this stuff. Uh, but I, I have, I don't see any hope for my uh, beloved democratic party in this one. Um, Lori Juanita, when we move on to the next topic, but contrary to what both of you have, uh, are advocated, I see my beloved Democratic Party going right back to the center. Uh, their response to uh, the Katanji Brown-Jackson hearings are to double down. You watch. This is my prediction. Double down on that law and order rhetoric. Uh, throw out all notions of criminal justice. Uh, run away from Kim Fox here in Cook County. <laughs> and state. I'm just laughing because I know it. I know it, Lori Glenn. No, I'm not uh, denying it. I, <laughs> believe me, I, I'm not going to deny that. I'm saying what I think, uh, what I wish that they would do is, you know, uh, why Biden in his speech had to say uh, fun. I mean, I never liked defund the police. I think that that's not, I think that's a very smart slogan that, uh, alienated a whole lot of people and I never liked it. But for him to then say fund the police because they're grappling with trying to bring the center back and then alienating progressives, you know, the fact is what the Democratic Party has to do is the hard work of going into middle America and building a base. And they destroyed their base there and they ignored any people there because People like Hillary Clinton called them deplorables, which was deplorable, and alienated people who should be part of the Democratic Party. And as we know, the Democratic Party has become incredibly elitist, and it does not relate well to just regular people and think that their problems are not real. But I read a Washington Post story this weekend that was devastating about three generations of a family that was a middle-class family where the grandfather had a union job and he was fine. And the descent from his son to the grandson and now the grandson's daughter at who uh, it's devastating in Wisconsin. And this is what we're dealing with. The reality is, is that people are poor. People are scared. Income inequality is devastating our democracy and the and the destruction of the middle class. And um, hey, I hope Jeff Bezos is really happy up there in the moon. You know, I hope that's really good for him. Speaking of the Washington Post, the owner of the Washington Post, uh, why did you have any thoughts you want to add before? I move no, on to all of that. I mean, it's just so overwhelmingly bad, you know. Corporate greed, 
too many people bought into the idea that if we let corporations do whatever they want, it'll all turn out good for all of us, which we all can plainly see is not working. Because yeah, that's how's that been working? <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <yeah. laughs> uh, all right, Juanita. So let's uh, let's go shift it to a little local, uh, and um, I'm going to give you an opportunity uh, to defend yourself and defend your organization. The Chicago Tribune uh, editorial board took a shot at you personally. Uh, you're named in the uh, their editorial uh, and their friends at the parks. So let me just say this. Everybody knows. It is no secret. I'm a big fan of Juanita. But beyond that, uh, I remember I go, I'm older than her. I remember friends at the park taking stand. I remember Tranter was uh, calling the shots back in the 80s when I moved here. Uh, and uh, so I'm a big fan of friends at the parks. And I am not a fan of Chicago Tribune editorial. I don't think there's any secret there. I've been ripping them forever. What was the word you, troglodyte? Is that the word you use, Lord? Talk about troglodyte. So uh, the the floor is yours. They took a shot at you uh, because of the position uh, your organization had taken uh, on possibly locating the casino uh, at McCormick Place. So, uh, man. Man, there's a lot to say, but I got to tell you, I feel like they think we're so powerful that if we put our position out, then it'll definitely go the way we've said it should go. And they must have some reason why they, you know, what are they getting out of it going to the 78 or whatever, that they were that upset. I actually found it kind of funny. I'm like, hey, with that powerful, then hey, that's awesome. But, um, yeah, they did endorse the 78. We'll get into the 78. Yeah. Go yeah, ahead. They endorsed the 78. But, you know, I, I, I find it really, really funny, honestly. I mean, almost laugh out loud, like, are people really that dumb? When somebody says that it's equivalent to chase off the Lucas Museum and to shrug your shoulders if someone is going to do something inside a building that already exists, Right. I mean, like, I think the average human knows the difference between a parcel of land where there's nothing there and a massive building. Like, it's like one of the most fundamental, easy things to differentiate, right? And so I just think that's like the lot. Like a massive logic. building with existing infrastructure. Right. That right. is actually in trouble. That it would cost like $400 million to knock down, right? So I'm like, I, the logic, I don't know what day of the week it was, but I'm like, their brains took lunch early or something because like, they're not equivalent, you know? And I got to tell you, I mean, if someone were saying that they wanted to build a new building for a casino on the lakefront, Friends of the Parks would have called our lawyers like instantly, of course, we are not welcoming people to build new buildings on the lakefront. Um, and I definitely have board members and stakeholders who dream of the day that McCormick East will come down, right? For sure. I also have folks among us who like the Preservation Chicago group and others really think that it's a cool building that exemplifies the architecture of its time. Mid century. And it should be preserved, <laughs> right? I mean, it's complicated. And then there's people like me and others who live on the West side and have no time to sit and think about whether that building is even important, you know, and if you got $400 million in the bank, how about if we spend it on fixing up some field houses on the West side and the South side that have been in disrepair for decades. Right. So, you know, friends of the parks is not a casino booster, you know, if we had to take a position, well, we would not take a position on casinos, Certainly, there are lots of us that probably don't think casino is the way to go. Personally, I'm not a casino person. 
there's definitely other people who are like, well, well, all of us were like, if there's going to be a casino, so what do we do, right? But there are others who might be okay with a casino as long as the right people get jobs out of it. But all that said, what Friends of the Park saw in the moment was these people are talking about taking the parking lots that we want to be turned into green space and maybe turning them into green space, you know, and they're not going to expand the footprint of the building, right? If they were going to try to extend the footprint of the building, we would have been so on top of them. We would have been calling our lawyers, like for sure. Um, and they were offering to do some things that we think might address some of the concerns that we know are out there for those people who are freaking out that maybe the bears are leaving and there's not going to be any activity down there. And they wanted to build a bunch of dining options and outdoor dining options for people that might come to the space, not use the casino, um, and sit out on the podium of the building and look at the lake, right? Some people think that's an awful way to use the lake. Other people like to go and have food at the lake, right? All this is complicated. That said, we don't love casinos, and we're not going to fight for somebody to build a casino there. <laughs> However, there are also lots of people in the community that don't want a casino in their backyard, like Chinatown with a gambling problem already. And, you know, with others who say this is not conducive to a neighborhood, and this is a residential community, and we don't want this right next to us. So Friends of the Parks has been trying to listen to the constituencies in the communities that are saying, this is not right for our community. River North Residents Association, which is a supporter of Friends of the Parks and organizes around the river and the parks along that community has said, we do not want this in our neighborhood for the Tribune site. The Lincoln Yards Community Advisory Council said, no, they took uh, to the one on the 78. They took a survey in the community. The community said no. So when are we going to listen to what the actual neighborhoods are saying about what they want in their neighborhood? I'm sure that I'm quite sure that McCormick, the, the Tribune is not so concerned about what the communities want in their neighborhoods. I'll stop there. Uh, those, uh, the interesting thing, uh, I had a laugh, man. Uh, so the, the, the central theme of the Tribune is that, uh, uh, friends at a park on hoodwink by Neil Bloom, uh, who owns the river casino or is one of the uh, principals of the river casino, uh, and was proposing, uh, a, to use Montgomery place for, uh, a Chicago casino. And I'm like, hello, you endorse 78. Guess who owns, who would Neil be Bloom. the owner of the casino? Yes. Neil Bloom, man. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, honestly, we don't have any interaction with the Blooms at all. It was the developers who came to us and said, it's actually developers who have previously come to us and said, we ain't stupid and you will run us off if we do stupid things on the lakefront. Some of the same folks who are de developers proposing the McCormick Place site also are involved with the Bronzeville Lakefront Redevelopment at Michael Reese. And they came to us very early on and said, Friends of the Parks will sue us if we do the wrong things here. So let's ask from the beginning what the right things are. And we already had heard those kinds of things from some of the folks that are part of the development team that proposed the McCormick Place site. So when they came to us again, we said, great, let's have a productive conversation to make them clear what things we absolutely will not tolerate and to make clear which things we're going to push them harder than what they've already approved. 
you know, already been thinking about. So that's our story and we're sticking to it. Uh, well, all right, let's put the Tribune aside for the moment. Uh, I could have a field day making fun of the Tribune editorial board. Uh, and uh, let's instead talk uh, briefly about casinos. Uh, <laughs> I have a field day with this one too. Um, the stated purpose of the casino will be to raise money to fund the underfunded firefighter and police pensions. And uh, I would submit to you, to quote the great Harold Washington, uh, that there is no worse way uh, to fortify a pension uh, than to depend on the revenue from casinos, because that's a sucker's game, casinos. And it's a really regressive tax. Of, in effect, you're squeezing people who probably least afford to be squeezed, chasing something that they won't succeed in catching, which is a winning. Anybody knows anything about casinos, not that the whole thing is tilted in favor of the house. That's why they run casinos, people. So you suckers who go there have virtually no chance of winning. And yet the city is dependent on people blowing their money at casinos on funding pensions. Lori and Juanita, if this is not the stupidest idea that I've heard from the city of Chicago this century, it's only because the Olympics is also on the list. <laughs> so, uh, which yeah. is, I still think, pop out a dumber idea, stuff our parks with a bunch of junk we don't need and we'll never use and can't afford to build. I think that was a dumber idea than the casino, using casinos uh, to fortify pensions. There, I had my say on it, and I'm going to turn, I'll start with Lori, her thoughts, and then we'll go to Juanita. Your thoughts on using a casino to uh, take care of your pension obligations. Well, two stories. One is, if you remember, I used to run bingos on the northwest side of Chicago for the Illinois Public Action Council for 18 months when I was 19 years old for Bob Kramer. And that's where I met Jan Schakowsky and all sorts of people. And uh, I ran about four or five bingos a week. Uh, we would give away $2,500 uh, for each license. And then we'd put two licenses together so we could give away 5000 at a crack. And then I would go to these other bingos uh, that I would then be able to advertise at. We would leaflet. We all agreed that non-competing time zone bingos that we would all leaflet each other because this was the target audience. Now, we made hundreds of thousands of dollars from these bingos. And I would watch people when I went to the non-competing bingos and like the zero weather going, why am I possibly doing this for social justice? But I was. And I would see the same people. And I'd see them at, I don't know, 15, 10, 15 bingos a week. Now, if you're at a bingo, you're playing probably at least 50 to 70 to $200 in your cards, your chips, your pens, your Italian beefs, just a lot of stuff. And I literally watched these, what were city workers, a number of them, working families lose their homes, their lives, their well-being uh, to gambling. So I am not a big proponent to gambling whatsoever. It is the ultimately most regressive tax. And I remember this one man who lost everything coming to me and saying, Lori, take my check. It's good. Really, it's good. And, you know, I'm a 19-year-old girl at the time, young woman, running these bingos. And I accepted his check because I felt so badly for him. He was clearly an addict. And, of course, his check, it bounced. 
So secondly, uh, California started the lottery. I had my lawyers were the lawyers behind this. They were the consultants as well who created the first lottery in uh, the United States that supposedly was going to go towards education funding. Now, what is just so amazing is that the education funding, that money never went there. (laughs) The education funding stayed the same and all that money ended up going into the general fund. So I just have a really bad feeling about building our economy based on gambling. Like, seriously, those are the jobs we want people doing being, not that it's fine. I mean, it's, if you're a good blackjack dealer, I'm down with that. That's fine. I personally don't gamble. I, I will do slots if you like Juanita, it sounds. You give me a pack of quarters, but it just doesn't turn me on. There is no thrill. Is It was never gone. It was never there for me. So I am not a gambler. But I do believe that we are gambling um, when we decide that that is how we are going to generate revenue is on the backs of poor working class people because that, that is really where the money's going to come from. Because, you know, the rich people, they're not gambling in Chicago. The rich people, they're flying out to Bellagio in Las Vegas or, or Monte Carlo or whatever cool, hip, amazing gambling place lives in the world. Sorry, that was too long. That was a good riff. Uh, you know, Juanita, that, your that thoughts. makes me remember a vacation I went on in the Bahamas where I um, met up with a friend from college who was from the Bahamas, and he he and his wife took us to some cool hotel, but they had you know big casino stuff there, and they were not allowed to enter because it was illegal for the Bahamians to, en- to gamble. It was only legal for us, the tourists, to gamble. That's right. So that, you know, that's really interesting. And that's acknowledging that this is not good for your local people. That's right. That's really. Wow. What if Chicago tried that? Let's do it. I never, wow, that blew my mind, Juanita. What if Chicago, you're going to have the casino, but it's only going to be people from the suburbs or Indiana. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I I feel it's Oh, go on. Sorry. I mean, I, I, I go to Puerto Rico all the time and there's casinos in the hotels there. And I've literally remembered that trip to the Bahamas and thought, man, Puerto Rico should do the same thing because, you know, there's so many locals there doing their slots. And, you know, no, man, if you try to do that in Chicago, there were so many Chicagoans upset. I got a lot of friends and I'm not going to name them who love gambling. OK, so my thing is I quit. I'm like, I if people want to gamble, the libertarian in me says, go gamble. I feel the same way about heroin. You want to take heroin, go take heroin. <laughs> I don't, and I can argue that gambling, being addicted to gambling is more destructive than being addicted to heroin. I can make that yeah. argument. You know, I, I, I will say one of, one of our board members, as we talked about this issue at Friends of the Parks, noted that their partner, is, their job is gambling addiction you know, services to help people get over that, right? And so they were like, well, if we must have gambling in Chicago, then some of the funds should be put aside to pay for programs to provide services to gambling addicts. So that's real. Yeah, well, that is real. But I but just the to real me, issue is is why are we focused on gambling? I mean, what has happened? Because none of us is mayor. Cities, <laughs> right? That our revenue generator that we're really concerned about is getting the casino. And what I want to know is how are we going to generate middle-class working jobs 
that are union, that are going to allow people to actually build a career in something that actually generates wealth, but that and and that actually adds value to our society. And the real question is how how the mighty have fallen. That what we're looking at, because I think Ben, we were talking about this, you know, daily. He was already overwhelmed at the end, and he sold. He sold the the parking. He I mean, the can down the road. Yes. Many times. And that was such a mistake because those people are cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. Are they making the money off of parking? Well, I'll I'll tell you, I could tell you that part of the problem is just our whole worldview. And I know I'm going going out here, but I'm going to say it, Lori and Juanita. I listen to a lot of talk uh, on the media and I've read a lot of articles uh, about the casino. And each one says the same point. What a great accomplishment it was for Mayor Lori Lightfoot. This is her greatest le- accomplishment to get a casino built. And I'm like, the mindset of Chicago. I'm sorry, Lori, this is your hometown. You love it dearly. And Juanita, it's your hometown, but I got it. And I'm not from here. Th- the mindset of Chicago, I will never understand how people in the city of Chicago can view this money sucker from working class people as the greatest accomplishment a mayor can have shows how <laughs> I got to laugh to keep from crying. You Lori Glenn, come on. This is the greatest achievement. Is that what we really need to be looking at as we see all the boundaries in the world changing. So we're not a city, actually. We're a region. We really are. And we need to be looking at the assets of our region and how we connect them together. Whether it be like, why aren't they investing in high-speed rail? Do you know how many thousands of jobs would be, hundreds of thousands maybe, uh, tens and tens of thousands of jobs would be created if we were building high-speed rail and connecting our communities? and, And they don't happen to be my client right now. So this is just me saying what I believe. But think about that now that's an investment, an investment in our infrastructure, in connecting our communities that are disconnected, in building our democracy by building a larger understanding of ourselves as a region instead of fighting over the little pieces here and there. Now, that's a conversation. What they'll say about the region is, well, there's already gambling boats in Elgin, and there's gambling boats over in Indiana. So people are going to go anyway, so we got to get that revenue for sure. And they had, you know, and, and someone's got to build the, you know, uh, furnaces for the all the people they burned at Auschwitz. That's an old one. You know, Ooh. like, that is like, oh, so somebody's got to have some shitty job that we've got to take because ever somebody else has it. Let me say this. We need our leaders to step back and take a real look at what's happened post-COVID and what has happened to our communities. And that money that came from the federal government, well, that ain't going to last very long. So we better have a true vision for our region of what really is going to add value and how our communities connect 
in the Midwest and to the larger communities across the country. Because it can't be us versus New York versus Los Angeles anymore, because there are bigger countries out there and they're eating our lunch. So how are we actually leveraging our assets? And how are we actually identifying new streams for how we employ people into jobs that actually have value? Because, you know, people need to feel good about themselves. Everybody, the bottom line, how we feel about ourselves, you wake up in the morning. What are we offering our people today in terms of a future? We sell people, oh, we got to work. So your work should have some value. Tell me, really? So green jobs. And and, and I read this great article about what could happen if good things happen out of an awful situation in Ukraine is that we all of a sudden decide that we not... We need to not depend on oil. And we decide to get really serious about investing in green technology, green energy, and create this whole new infrastructure of jobs and around that. That's what, so what we should be doing. That's right. So what if we took that money and we gave it to our universities? Because we have this incredible university system, UIC system, University of Chicago, DePaul, Loyola. I'm sorry, whoever I forget. I mean, we have major intellectual capital here. So why aren't we taking that money that we're going to put into a casino, put them into those institutions, employ intellectuals, and teach our children science and the green economy, Um, alternative energy, as you said. I mean, there's just so many other things that are also emblematic of the values of our culture and what do we believe in. And we're not having those conversations. We're going to talk about whether Juanita Irizarry, because she busted the balls of Rahm Emanuel and other people, and she won because the little girl won against the big bad wolf. And, you know, Star Wars, I'm sorry, belonged in L.A. where it went. It doesn't belong here, really, though I know. I mean, my boyfriend really disagrees with me on this one because, you know, jobs, jobs, jobs. But frankly... I think that jobs for yeah. whom, but yeah. that's right. Yeah, jobs the boyfriend, for that, that wait, the boyfriend who made the movie, that yeah, boyfriend. The boyfriend okay. that made the movie. All right, well, well, all right. <laughs> who didn't show up the show? Oh, bet I forgot. Uh, that boyfriend, uh, Juanita, Lori's absolutely correct, and and I just have to say, there that was payback. That that editorial was payback. <laughs> Totally. Absolute payback because like, you guys took a stand. You dared to take a stand right. against Rom uh, and the powers that be in this city. That's right. And and it's the same powers that be that are pushing this I casino. Mean, it's ridiculous because when I read that editorial, I'm thinking, wait a minute. So now Friends of the Park is actually taking a very strong business stance and shows that environmentalists can actually be good business people and stewards of the economy. And I would have thought they would have applauded this, but instead they're like, fuck this. No, these people are corrupt. She must be on the take. That was payback. Yeah, how much did they give you, Juanita? How much should they give to friends of the they just had to say the opposite of like the Sun-Times because the Sun-Times actually went through point by point like, oh, they made a really, you know, reasoned argument and blah, 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 you know. But I don't know. I actually think it's pretty powerful when we don't put out a press statement and we just send a letter to our supporters and we get bashed in the news. That That's actually probably a good day. No, it says that you have a lot of power. 
for. Yeah, it was so payback. I'm really, can it I was have payback. your autograph? <laughs> and by the way, here, here, you know, but that's that. You guys both raise a good point, and this goes to show you how uh, lefties. Well, you're not lefties, uh, friends of the park. But anybody who friends doesn't follow, not lefties. Juan, he does a lefty. Yeah. Okay, well, but you know, <laughs> yeah, we'll if you're not him. part of the mainstream, okay, if you're not part of the group that's invited, uh, that's at the table uh, and uh, reads the talking points. Uh, they trivial, try to trivialize you and marginalize you at all times. And so when you do something, quote unquote, grown up and responsible by saying, okay, we're going to buy into this cockamamie notion that we're going to, the casino is coming. And so we're going to try to find a place that may be best suited for it without alienating neighbors, with, uh, without destroying the lakefront any further. <laughs> and then they go, they start yelling at you. So you can't win. Hey, marginalized people in the city of Chicago, they hate you, okay? Just telling you that right now. And actually, why (laughs) are these locations not in Washington Park? Like, there's this huge area. I mean, like, what I meant is there are very huge, empty areas on the west and south side of Chicago with nothing on them. Why would you even put, and frankly... um, But you know the answer, Lori. So you're you're asking the question, but you know the answer. I know, but I thought you know, I'd ask the question. I mean, I mean you know the answer. Why ask- do you, you know the answer too? It's a two for answer. One, they want to have an excuse to get their little. I bet it's going to seventy eight. Just between you guys, I, I just that's so. my feeling all along. Uh, once they so I have here, another thought. Can ahead. I say? Go ahead, Wendy. Go. Go. Yes. Floor is yours. I mean, I'm not going to bet my life on where the casino goes. But, you know, there's also this big concern that the bears are leaving. So oh, yes. yes. And there's this desire to activate that area. And that word means get people to spend money here. And so across the street from Soldier Field at that one central site might fit into some people's plans around that. Now, I think there's an awful lot of subsidy needed to create one central. We all know that. But... The mayor's office actually said, pointed out that, hey, the casino itself will not depend on the subsidy and that can go forward regardless of the development of One Central. And I do not believe that for one I, minute. Right. And, and I do, do not want that they're then using that to then try and encourage the bears to stay by they connecting want, the two together. Want, whatever yeah. happens at Soldier Field, there's this desire for it to be a place where people come and spend their money. And after the game, after the soccer game, after the circus, after whatever... After they the can concert, blow their wad at the casino. place where they can go eat. <laughs> After you go to a museum, you want to go to restaurants. There's I want to take my kids gambling. <laughs> Get so, them. Juanita. It's not, it's, not the, it's not the casino. It's the resort. I understand you know? what you're saying. Yes. 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 No, that's the mindset. I get it. I'm guessing. I'm just yeah. saying. Well, no, it's a good idea. I, I actually. I'm just uh, saying that that makes me wonder if there's a connection in their minds to the desires around what do we do with that soldier field space to, got to it. really make it generate so, more revenue. I don't well, know. That's you don't know. I know. Uh, you're not in the room. Uh, but I, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, God, I don't believe the Bears are staying at Soldier Field. That's my just, you raised that topic. I, I think they're... they've already moved out of the city. What's your thoughts, Juanita? Oh, I think they're gone. But again, I'm not in the room, you know. Um, but I, I do think that there's real concern about what what Soldier Field, regardless of the Bears, can 
mean for revenue generation for the park district and for the city. So there's a lot of energy around that. And that's where I just think this, that thing across the way might be connected. That's all. all right. So we've, we've run out of time for this segment. Oh. So I'm going to close by uh, asking if, if there's anything yes. you guys want to do guys. a shout out about. Yes. Uh, and uh, we'll start with Lori. Uh, any shout outs you want to give? Anything? You yes. Want, anything Full disclosure, you, no. definitely shouting out about my clients. Because <laughs> <laughs> she never does that. Yeah, right. Dick Simpson, who I have known since I was nine years old, and I walked door to door for the Independent Democratic Party, and um, I met with Dick when I was very young, and he made, I still see him in his office when he was alderman, and he's he made such an impression on my life. I think he really impacted uh, my having this social justice firm, uh, he really was a mentor. And so he has written a new book called Democracy's Rebirth, The View from Chicago. And we're launching it in conversation with Mayor Lightfoot at the Harold Washington Library on April 21st. It's free. Anyone can come. It's 6 p.m., and also, I think uh, Dick's book about democracy, he has 25 recommendations, actually, of what can be done at this really challenged moment. So I hope you all will come again. It's at the Harold Washington Library at 6 on That's April awesome. 21st. Can I say that he spoke at Friends of the Parks, Parks of Democracy Conference a couple years ago based on his book, The Good Fight. So yay. Woohoo. Go Dick. Good. And one last thing, Ben, I'm really sorry, but Kofi, the Community Organizing and Family Issues, one of the smartest, most strategic community organizing groups, organ training parents and seeding organizations from the grassroots, city, county, state, and federal policy tables, got $2 million dollars from philanthropist Mackenzie Scott. And we announced it right before she announced her billions of dollars on Wednesday. So we got a shitload of news for our clients. So way to go, Kofi. They are awesome. And their leaders are the real deal. Oh my God, listening to them, they make me cry. This is democracy building in action and a shout out. And she'll kill me for it because she doesn't like media for herself, but Alan Schumer, what a friggin' great organizer you are. You've done an awesome job. Brava. All right. And why did you got uh, uh, some shout outs you want to give before we uh, head out the road? Well, I say just pay attention to the reimagining the lakefront working group as the mayor convenes her folks that she has added me to her little, her little list of people talking about what should happen at museum campus. And we'll see, just pay attention. All right, we'll see if they listen to you. Uh, and uh, so, Juanita, thank you very much. And uh, keep up the good work. And Lori Glenn, the same uh, to you. Lori Glenn, uh, Juanita Irizarry, come on. I'd say it's about every other month. And we've been doing this since 2019. Yeah, uh, so before the pandemic. Before the pandemic. Uh, so regulars on the Ben Jarofsky Show. And thank you for the support you give me. I truly appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. It's always right. fun. So that's uh, Lori and Juanita. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Mm -hmm.